Colin, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 3 on Sunday morning. We're studying the book of Colossians in a series entitled, uh, Give Me Jesus. And we come to a single verse today, Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. But because I know how talented and ambidextrous you are, I'll ask you to hold your place there in Colossians chapter 3. And then just turn a handful of pages to your left. Um, to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll reference a couple, of, a couple of verses, um, one verse from Ephesians chapter 6 as well. While we're finding both of those places, just want to remind you that on Sunday night we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, uh, and we are currently in the gospel according to Luke, and so we'll be doing that tonight at 6 o'clock. Hopefully that will be raining. That's forecast, and uh, we need rain in California always this year as well. But come on out, and, and just to look at the life and the ministry and the teaching of Jesus and to go through it together. Maybe you haven't been in a gospel for a while and studied those things. We'll be doing that tonight. Let me read, first of all, the passages in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, um, verse 4. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And then Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So let's pray together now. Father, we live in a world where <clears throat> it is apparent to all who are paying attention that your institutions are under a terrible, terrible attack. The institution of marriage the institution of family, and Lord, the attack is not only going on, but it is advancing with catastrophic results and casualties in all directions. And we thank you that you have a different word, a different way for us than the kingdom of this world, that you have a way and a kingdom, the kingdom of God, in which you instruct us on what is the best way to be a parent? What is the best way to raise uh, our children? A way that leads to no regret at all and, and prepares them for an adult life of productivity within the culture, but then a lifetime, Lord, as we would hope, of knowing you and loving you and serving you. And so we pray that you would be very powerfully involved in our individual hearts, speaking to us as a body as well, in ministering your word to us. And we pray and we ask for this work of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray as well for Deborah and the family. And we miss John. And that, that face, that personality, what a gift you gave to us for so many years here at Calvary Chapel. And we pray that you would be the God of all comfort to them, that you would strengthen them, that you would brood about them, Lord, and cause just the fullness of who you are and what you alone can be in a loss like this, that you would touch them and minister to them and care for them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name as well. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Very often I think that the Christian life is uh, thought of by the world as being <clears throat> merely pie in the sky in the sweet by and by, that essentially all it has to do with is eternity, the life after this one, and, 
and really has very little to say to us of a practical level in terms of the life that we live now, uh, between now and entering into that uh, glory. But as we're in this section of uh, Colossians chapter 3, we see that Christianity is not only concerned about our eternal destiny, but it is also concerned to fashion us, to prepare us as individuals to one day enter into the glory uh, of heaven. And God, because the kingdom of God doesn't exist uh, simply in heaven, but it exists now in this world. And as Christians, we're citizens of that kingdom. And God is eager for us as citizens of His kingdom uh, to produce a certain quality of life, a certain quality of human being, a superior quality of life in human being in His kingdom as a means of making Him known and uh, glorifying Him here in the midst of, of this world. And the Apostle Paul has al already brought <clears throat> this out in his, this section of his letter uh, to the church at Colossae, and uh, as he's brought out uh, here uh, in terms of the superior human being, the superior quality of life that, that he produces in us in the here and now. Uh, in verse 13, he declared that such a person that he produces is one who bears with the imperfections of others, is generous in our forgiveness uh, as uh, to others as Christ has been uh, to them. In verse 14, a life that is marked by love, and then one whose heart is governed or ruled by the peace of God. Verse 15, he produces a human being that is eager to praise and to worship God. In verse 16, a, a life that is dedicated to bringing God glory. In verse 17, a life that is marked by thankfulness and marked especially by thankfulness to God. Again, in verse 17. And then as we move closer to our passage in our verse here, in verse 21, the Christian life also produces a superior quality uh, wife. Uh, or husband, or child, or parent, or employee, or employer, for example. And this morning, having already examined the Holy Spirit's instruction to us concerning Christian wives, Christian husbands, Christian children, we now receive the Holy Spirit's instruction uh, to, to Christian parents uh, regarding the raising of uh, of our children. And how invaluable is that? Uh, I know there are no bookstores open right now, but uh, before COVID, you could walk into a bookstore. I mean, they're fading out. Bookstores, people aren't reading as much and lots of Kindle and downloads on Amazon or having it mailed to our house. But you can even go to Amazon uh, books and look under uh, parenting and just see the sheer number of books that come up uh, on uh, endeavoring to instruct people related, related to parenting and uh, the desperate need that it, re it represents within parents who now have a child. Excuse me, I warned you. But we now have a child, and what do we do with this child? What do we do with this thing? How do we raise this child? And uh, the craving for instruction, uh, and here we have instruction from God Himself, and absolutely invaluable. Otherwise, we're going to raise our children as an experiment of the culture 
or the, the country, uh, or we're going to raise our children as an experiment uh, in our own uh, wisdom or in our own uh, collective ignorance in terms of how a child <clears throat> is to be uh, raised. And this instruction in God's Word rescues us and our children from heading in that direction. And here in these two verses that we'll look at this morning, here we have the fundamental truths related to uh, uh, raising a child. The Bible is filled with instruction uh, on, uh, on raising a child. The book of Proverbs is full of Proverbs and wisdom related to that. So there's much that could be said. We could do an entire series on this, but we'll contain ourselves to what is, is in this uh, verse. The fundamentals, the foundational things that never change. When he addresses there in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, and he begins that verse by speaking to fathers, the instruction isn't limited solely to fathers. It is instruction for uh, fathers and mothers as well. It, it applies to both. I'm inclined to believe that the Apostle Paul uh, made his, his instruction here when he speaks to, to fathers here and, and uses the term for them to begin with is maybe a reinforcement in the minds of Christian fathers there in Colossae that they are the head of their household. And as the head of the household, they will one day be responsible uh, for the raising of their children and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And, and then additionally, I also am inclined to believe that what he exhorts there in chapter 3, verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children, is a, temp a greater temptation for the father than for the mother. But at any rate, the instruction is for both father and mother. I think to, in order to receive the greatest benefit from Paul's instruction here in Colossians, it's necessary to expand, as I mentioned a little bit, into Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, where, uh, we, where Paul instructs us kind of in the same vein there to the church in uh, Ephesus, focusing on uh, Christian parents raising uh, children. And there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, if you would just turn to it, Paul again saying, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And so we immediately see that uh, parenting, but certainly Christian parenting, uh, is not a passive exercise. Children are in need of training, they're in need of admonition, they're in need of being raised up. And uh, raising a child is more than just propping them up in front of a television set or a computer screen or an iPad for 18 years and then buying them luggage at the age of 18 to help them move out of the house because of the quality of human being that those things uh, have, have produced and the neglect of a parent raising the child. And both Paul's letters to the church in Colossae and the church of Ephesus are uh, closely related. They were written about the same time. Uh, along with Philippians and the book of Philemon, they constitute what are known as the prison epistles of Paul. He wrote the four letters when he was in prison in Rome 
for his faith in Christ. And given the proximity, so those letters went out largely at the same time, and, and given the close proximity of Colossae to Ephesus, just about a hundred miles uh, apart from one another, and given the close relationship of the founding pastor of the church in Colossae to the church in Ephesus, uh, this letter would have not merely been read that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and then put under glass or something where nobody could uh, ever touch it again. It would have made its, the rounds to all of the churches uh, surrounding. And so certainly the church at Colossae would have been exposed to uh, the church at uh, the letter that was written to the church at Ephesus. And Paul doesn't feel the need in writing to the Colossians to uh, add anything more to that except to simply build upon it as he does uh, in this uh, letter. In that Ephesians passage, he tells us what the responsibilities, uh, a parent's responsibilities are uh, in this regard. First, a child is to be uh, brought up, which is a a massive indictment against much of what is is happening uh, today where children are being in larger and larger numbers being left uh, to simply raise themselves and and the neglect being uh, one of the great sins of parents uh, today and and as it <clears throat> as if a child has any hope of preparing themselves on, on their own for uh, adult life much less for christian children for christian children to be raised uh, on their own to then navigate an adult world in terms of walking with God and obeying God in a relationship uh, with God in an adult world. Paul said to the church at Ephesus, a child is to be brought up, and the, and the word means to rear, to raise, to bring up into maturity. And the word carries the idea of nourishment and tender care. So I, I like to, to garden, not vegetables, um, but I, I like to do yard work. I always have. There's something about planting, something the dynamic of the soil, the plant, the seasons, the whole thing. It's a marvel to me. But it's also a hard 90 out of what I do the rest of the week. It's very recreational for me, and it gives me... Uh, I do a lot of thinking when I do it, and I enjoy it. Plus, I like to look out the window through the seasons of the year and uh, see the beauty of it out there. But no garden, whether a vegetable garden or yard, uh, uh, none of them occur by accident. Uh, Whenever you see such a thing, something that is beautiful like that and is well-tended and and cared for and all, you realize an awful lot of work has gone uh, into, has been invested in that yard to produce that beautiful thing. And in the same way, children require a great deal of time and attention invested in them as well. Paul said second there, children are to be brought up in the training of the Lord. So children are to be trained. Uh, and, and for the simple reason that they're in need of training. And the training cont- contains the idea of nurture, of being taught, taught how to live a disciplined 
life, and then also to be disciplined, to actually be punished or to be chastised for rebellion or for a wrong uh, behavior, and uh, and in order to curb, uh, as we any parent would want to do, and any child would want a parent to do, to curb uh, the sin nature from uh, budding into full bloom within uh, within our lives in our in our childhood, knowing how much harder it will be to deal with in adult life if it hasn't been dealt with in childhood, and then to uh, nip at the bud all of the bondage that that sin uh, uh, brings into a person's life. And then third, children are to be brought up in the admonition of the Lord. And so children are to be admonished. Why? Because they're in need of admonishment. And admonishment in the original language here, it refers to verbal instruction to discipleship, whether in the form of encouragement or whether it's in the form of praise or in the form of rebuke or in the form of correction. Children need to be talked to. Children are desperately in need of verbal instruction. The household that I was uh, raised in, I do not remember uh, and and I, I was raised in a lot of different homes, but the ones that I ended up the, for the most with my mom and my stepdad, um, I do not remember a single time in my childhood, and I'm not cherry-picking, but a single time I cannot remember when anyone sat me down and explained what would have been the right thing to have done or said in a given uh, situation, trained on how to be appropriate in any environment, or after I had done some kind of a faux pas related to that, to have someone sit down and teach me the right thing, to show me what I had done wrong, what I should do next time, and how to do that uh, next time. And none of us in uh, growing up in that house received that. Largely, we were left to figure out right and wrong on our own, and uh, by virtue of what words or what activity produced uh, uh, punishment and what did not. And there was plenty of punishment, but there was zero instruction, zero verbal uh, teaching or discipleship. And uh, all of us headed out into adult life just waiting to become a casualty of the world as a result. We were completely unprepared for the adult world when we launched uh, out, and uh, most of the time in unfortunate circumstances. I know that concerning myself, I would have readily responded to anyone, but certainly my parents, if someone had put an arm around my shoulder and said, I saw what you did there, or I heard what you did there, and let's, let's think that through together. And, uh, and here's another way to look at that, or here's the way you'll want to do that next time, and, and here's why. And, and I know that I crave that kind, kind of thing and would have responded uh, uh, to it if I had... Uh, had received it uh, a- at all, and uh, and and certainly uh, it would have made 
a very, very big difference. And so we got into a lot of trouble, us as kids, as a result. And I fear certainly that this kind of thing, this way that children are being left to themselves or being neglected in this way is far, far greater today than ever it was in uh, the 60s and, and the 70s when I uh, was, was growing up as a child and uh, as a youth. Today, it's common to see parents very frustrated with their children, very angry with their children, yelling at their children, threatening their children. But very often in those situations, you can tell as it's going on that those children have never been taught what the right thing uh, is. And the parent thinks that the child should automatically know what they know by virtue of the fact that the parent knows it or that the child ought to be able to understand right and wrong just by virtue of watching uh, the parent and the parent's example. But Paul says it doesn't work that way. They're in need of nurture and they're in need of admonition. They're in need of verbal instruction in order to be prepared uh, for uh, adult life. Parent has to uh, take what we know inside of our heart and mind and then we have to transfer that wisdom, that life experience, what we know from the Bible into their lives by, by virtue uh, of communication and instruction. When you look at any skilled carpenter in the entire world, uh, every skilled carpenter was once trained. Uh, every skilled lawyer was once trained. Every skilled doctor was once trained. And, uh, and yet, as a culture, we can recognize the necessity of it, the importance of it, and all of these kind of adult realms, and then be, have it be completely lost upon us uh, that children also need to be trained and instructed in order to be prepared for adult life. It doesn't just happen on its own. And now in this verse of Paul's, the admonition uh, follows in, there in, in uh, Ephesians, the admonition follows the training and it's for good reason because we will only frustrate a child uh, if we demand of them what we have never taught them or if we rebuke them for failing to do what we have never been clear about in terms of our expectations of them. It is one thing for a child to know what to do and why, and then to disobey. It's another thing for a child to do wrong and never have been taught that it was wrong in that area of life. And so willful disobedience requires chastisement. It requires discipline Ignorant wrongdoing on the part of our children requires instruction and teaching. And increasingly, this kind of teaching and training and instruction on the part of parents uh, toward the children is becoming rare. Teaching them what is right, what is wrong, but why right is right and why wrong uh, is uh, wrong so that children can then reach, can grow into adult life and be prepared for 
uh, handling those obstacles. Again, these things will be learned in their formative years when they're easier to learn rather than learning them in their 20s and 30s and 40s as my, myself and my brothers and sisters had, uh, had to do. And we're not alone in that. The, uh, and so often in our culture, all of this is being left to the schools, or it's being left to Sunday school, or it's being left to television, or left to the internet, or left to law enforcement uh, to teach them right and wrong because we've failed to do so, or it's being left to employers and so forth. But Paul wants us to know that it is the primary responsibility of the parent because no one is in a greater Uh, more influential position in our children's lives than we are uh, as parents. Paul closes that Ephesian passage there uh, by saying that they're to be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In other words, as Christians, we're to raise our children in the nurture and the admonition that comes from the Lord, in the Word of God, in God's commandments, in his definitions of right and wrong. And you can take any commandment of God, whether it is an affirmation or a prohibition, and to be able to sit down with a child or any human being and say, now look at the wisdom of what God says here. If you obey this in life, it translates into this. If you disobey this in life, then it translates into this. And to have our eyes opened in childhood and in youth is uh, invaluable. And so what God calls us to do as Christian parents is not merely to raise uh, children who will one day uh, become independent of us or one day to become productive uh, citizens of society, but to, on top of that, uh, raise a child who will be able to navigate a very fallen world spiritually with their own relationship uh, with God and, uh, and knowing uh, what it is that God expects of them and why uh, it is wise that he expects those things of us. Now you go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, and it, it, there is simply a prohibition here, and then there is a reason for the prohibition. And the prohibition uh, to us as parents is do not provoke your children. And uh, we notice a pattern now with this prohibition in this section of the, the, the book of Colossians here as it's given to fathers, as it's given to parents. We've already seen in verse 19, uh, some weeks ago, dealing with the role of the husband and the position of authority that he has within a Christian marriage where the Holy Spirit uh, exhorts husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Here he says, fathers, do not provoke your children. He's already addressed the children a couple of verses early uh, and calling on them to obey their parents. Paul has already established the authority of parents within the home. But now he gives a warning as he did to the husbands with the wives, now with the parents related to the children, that that authority that he gives is not open-ended. 
that it, that it, it isn't that it doesn't have uh, restraints on it or boundaries uh, upon it. He gives that authority, but that authority is never to be used carnally, is never to be used to bully or mistreat anyone that is under our authority, uh, even children, and never to be used selfishly uh, to make life easier for me. It's always to be used for the good of the other person. And as a result, God continues to illustrate this in His instruction to parents, do not provoke your children. I have given you authority, so to speak, over your children. But if you take that authority into a place where you provoke your children, then you are misusing the authority that I have given to you. And that's helpful uh, to understand and to realize. When he says here, do not provoke your children, the word provoke is a very, very rich word in the Greek as Paul uses it here. It means to embitter a child to exasperate a child, to make them resentful, uh, to exasperate them to the point of anger. And here's the reminder to us as parents that children are human beings. They are real, live, uh, living human beings who are deeply affected, more affected than we can ever know by our treatment of them, especially our treatment of them as their parents. Now, in ancient Rome, uh, related to all of this, and Paul wrote this letter in the context of the Roman Empire. He is instructing Christians who are living in the Roman Empire. It's timeless. It applies to us as well. But at the time that this letter was written in the early part of the Roman Empire, Uh, empire, fathers had the power to tell their children to do anything that the, the, the father wanted them to do, and, and the children were absolutely required to do it. A father had the right to work his child to death. Uh, the father had the right to sell his children into slavery, uh, even to kill his children, and to do so at any uh, age. And so Roman culture, as Paul writes this into that kind of a culture, very different culture from our, our culture, uh, other end of the spectrum in some respects. But uh, so uh, the Roman culture was not a culture that felt uh, compelled in any way to uh, exhibit respect or compassion or empathy uh, toward children. But Paul is saying to the church there in Colossae, you are not to take that attitude from the world toward children and bring, that's so prevalent around you and bring that now into your Christian life and your Christian walk in raising the children that I uh, uh, bless uh, uh, you with. I think many of the, if not most of the Christian books that are written on parenting, they, they focus on the subject of, of uh, disciplining a child. But that's not the only part of a parent's responsibility as we see here. It's an important part, but it's only a part. There has to be a healthy, 
relationship between a parent and a child. And that requires time and investment. So the relationship uh, means something to the child in terms of providing a motivation for uh, uh, obedience and, and, uh, and appreciating uh, the relationship and not wanting to damage it with, with disobedience. And I think it's important, as Paul is surely putting forth here, is the importance to realize that uh, uh, God has tremendous compassion on both parents and children. And as I said a number of weeks ago, I think the single, I can be wrong, but I think think the single hardest thing that anyone will ever do in life is for a Christian parent to raise a child in the ways of the Lord in a Western culture. And I mean to really do it based upon what the Word of God says. And so we realize how hard what we're up against is in terms of the condition of the world. But the importance of remembering how difficult this world is for our children. I wouldn't want to be a child in this, uh, at this time in history. I would not want to have the access to temptation. I wouldn't want to have the culture that would be fighting. In the old days, you could put your children in front of a television set while you were making dinner or sit down at the end of the evening and everything you would see on the TV would reinforce everything you were trying to do in your children in raising them. There was no obstacle in that way. The culture was safer than it was. And for children to be raised today, I talk about the generations progressively more filled with anxiety, more filled with fear. I don't doubt it at all. The world is a fearful place. And it's becoming more unstable. It's becoming more fragile before our eyes. Things that are sure and immovable are, are, are non-existent. And so when everything in the culture is in play, it's so hard for a child to live in that world and to be raised in that world. But that is Western culture. And that's where God has called us to raise uh, our, our children. And so... The examples, I think, of uh, uh, provoking and what exactly is he talking about here as he, he forbids us to, to provoke our, our children. What is he, he talking about in terms of rubber meeting the road? And I'll just give you some, uh, uh, briefly some examples of this just to prime the pump and then I'll leave your rich preacher-like minds to fill in uh, all of the blanks and to expand upon them in your own minds. As we've already discussed, a sure way to provoke a child to, to break them in an unhealthy way and, and to exasperate them is to demand a certain behavior of them, but to have failed to have done the hard work of teaching them what we expect and why we expect it and how they can do that. A second uh, cause of uh, uh, provoking a child is to demand of a child what they're incapable of doing yet. 
Our demands of our children have to be age-appropriate. We cannot demand of a four-year-old or a six-year-old what we can demand of a 10-year-old or of a uh, 12-year-old. It's one thing if they're capable of doing something and then they refuse to do it. It's something else entirely if they're incapable, lack of physical or or, uh, mental or emotional uh, uh, maturity to be able to do uh, that something. Additionally, and I think uh, uh, conversely here, we must not treat a 17-year-old child like a 9-year-old child. And so there has to be that guard in us as parents, and it's something we need to be aware of as Christian parents, because we're going to be more prone to this than anyone else, and that is uh, the danger of overprotection of a child. And so we, I don't know how many, you know, every generation is given some name and I can't keep up with it. Uh, uh, and they've just become too complicated. Well, no, I don't want to learn them. And, uh, but I know you have a label and there's a whatever and I have mine and all of that and I know it's useful in, in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in some uh, regard. But I remember a, while, a few years ago they were talking about these helicopter moms that... I mean, the child just couldn't even breathe, and they got a monitor all around them, and, and, uh, and, uh, but, but there can be comparable things right up through their teen years in and, and treating them in that, in that way. Again, what we're aiming at as parents is not simply to raise children who are going to obey us at home, but to raise children who are uh, prepared and equipped now to live a godly life, in, uh, in, in the, the culture uh, of the world uh, all around us, that adult world, and to live obediently to God. Sometimes we can be prone to hold the reins so tight that the child isn't even given the slightest opportunity to make a mistake, the slightest opportunity to uh, do something wrong or to fail uh, under our uh, roof. And uh, there's that level of, of overprotectedness. And uh, so they leave the house, let's say, when they're 18, they go out into the world, then they fall for every temptation, they fall for every uh, trap that's out there, and then we can comfort ourselves as parents that, well, as long as they were under my roof, they obeyed. Uh, That reflects on me, but what they do now that they've left my home is upon them. And there's an element of truth of that. For sure, there's an element of truth to that. But if they've never been given the opportunity uh, 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 to uh, responsibility uh, with our instruction uh, and and room to make mistakes and room uh, to succeed or to fail, uh, the chance to make mistakes and learn from them, then we haven't trained them for adult life at all. We haven't, certainly haven't, Uh, prepared them for a lifetime of godly decision uh, making. And so often this kind of thing can merely be a uh, a, a raising a child as an extension of our own concern for our own reputation rather than a concern to uh, uppermost of preparing them for adult life. And that's going to mean uh, allowing children to try things and 
to make mistakes. And of course, as, uh, as they get older, especially in the teen years, uh, they have to be treated more and more uh, like an adult, have to be responsible too with that, that responsibility that's given to them. But uh, they, they have to be given more and more uh, uh, treatment like an adult and because that's what's coming uh, full steam ahead in their lives. And uh, that's, that's where they're headed. Another uh, reason for provocation can be uh, failing to take into account the differences of personality or natural abilities within our, our uh, children, to just raise them all exactly uh, the same way. But our children are very different, and uh, uh, oftentimes and you can wonder, uh, do they share the same gene pool? Uh, at all here, or who, <laughs> where did, they must have gotten all of this from their grandparents or great-grandparents. I don't recognize any of it. Well, we recognize, just don't want to, but, uh, but there's this whole uh, taking the, the differences in, into account because they are so different. And, and uh, if, we, if we are not intent on exasperating them, we will take these things into account. For instance, and I'll use the, the classic example, you have one child that loves sports. Not only loves sports, but has an aptitude for it. They want to play every sport that, that exists in the, in the world. And uh, may even be a star, maybe even excel at that sport. And then you have another child who has no interest in sports at all. And they love the arts, they love drama, they love music, uh, they love drawing, they love to read, they love to draw maps, they love to make models, all of these other things. And to choose uh, which of those interests that we like, and now we're going to force what we are exclusively upon them without us taking into account their differences and their interests, recognizing that these things are from God and to be nurtured in a different way uh, is going to drive them uh, to uh, exasperation. Another thing that will exasperate a child is hypocrisy uh, in our lives as parents. And I don't think anything will quite discourage a child as much as hypocrisy. We all have a hypocrisy uh, filter. It's the thing we all notice fa faster than anything in life. We notice the person who says one thing and lives in an entirely different way. Or says this is the right way to do something and then does not do it uh, at, at all. And, and we notice the hypocrisy of it. And as fast as we are to notice hypocrisy in another person, uh, children are on steroids. Uh, they will notice hypocrisy uh, in an instant. Uh, it, you, one, th one phrase you'll hear in raising any child is, that's not fair. And usually that, that's not fair is because there's some kind of hypocrisy involved in, uh, in, in, in the situation. As Christian parents uh, demanding that our children live up to a standard that we're not willing to live up to ourselves will exasperate them. Or uh, because we must live the same life of obedience to God that we demand of them. One thing that it's imperative that a child not see is a, a characteristic of their home growing up is to see uh, their parents as one thing at church and then something entirely different 
at, at home. They will not only lose respect for the parents, but they will lose respect for Christianity, which is even a greater casualty in their lives. It reinforces in their thinking that that's what Christianity is. I was raised in a Christian home, and, and what Christianity is, is you go to church and you're one thing there, and you come home and you're something else uh, entirely. And then for a child to take that into their adult life, and sometimes, into their Christian uh, relationship with God into their uh, adult life. And uh, this is so disillusioning uh, for them and, and the importance of being careful of hypocrisy. Constant harshness will exasperate uh, our, our children. We must chasten them. We have to be firm with them. There's no doubt uh, uh, about that. But I'm talking about when that's all they get from us. Maybe one of the parents or both of the parents. It's just constant harshness. It's just unending uh, criticism. Just constantly putting the child down. No encouragement at all. That will absolutely crush a child. And, and they will just look at it and say, What's the use? And they'll check out. And they will learn how to navigate their childhood, navigate the home, so that they can have as little contact as possible with the person that simply cannot be pleased, no matter uh, what it is that they do. And some of us, by nature, we're kind of like that. We can be prone only to notice the child's shortcomings and we're a lot less uh, able uh, to notice their, uh, what is commendable, what they do well, and then to consciously commend them for it. And so some of us have to stop and say, I, I know about myself, I spot every wrong thing they do. Uh, and, and I overlook all the good things that they do and are, and I need to build that up in my life and in my relationship in uh, uh, raising them. John Newton, we sang uh, Amazing Grace. He was the writer of, of the hymn, and he's reported to have said of his father, he said, I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. <laughs> there's, there's a fair amount of that, isn't there, sometimes? Jesus, when he wrote to the seven churches, those seven letters in the book of Revelation, always in two of the churches, he couldn't find even enough to commend them on. It was just pure correction. That was what it was. But even in the other letters where he is going to really uh, powerfully rebuke and pull them up for their wrongdoing, uh, he would commend them in some way before he moved to the correction. And uh, a spoonful of sugar does help the medicine go down. And uh, he is a model for that uh, in, in raising uh, our, our children as well. I think it's important, too, to, uh, to be careful of perfectionism as parents, demanding perfectionism of our children uh, for the simple reason that no child will ever be perfect. And it's an impossible expectation 
to put upon uh, our uh, uh, children, and it will exasperate them, and it will drive them into uh, resentment. Again, they'll just say, what is uh, the use? There's no grace around here. And uh, perfectionism, one of the dangers of being raised, if we have perfectionist tendencies in our own life as parents, is to then raise a perfectionist. And perfectionism is a cure. I mean, it's a curse, rather. It is a very real problem in the the lives of people who have that. We don't want to pass that on to our our children. And, And some children are readily susceptible uh, to that. I remember I've mentioned it a handful of times through the years when I was um, in elementary school. And I forget whether it was grade four, five, or six or something like that, but I remember sitting in the back of the classroom and the row next to me and the girl, third seat from the front, uh, the teacher passed back all of the results of our tests and she broke down sobbing in her seat. Well, I'd never seen anything like that. What could... What could have happened from one moment to the next that would produce that kind of a reaction in her? For the first time in her life, she got a grade less than an A, and it broke her. And that's a perfectionism, that's a standard. That B was a gift to her. If it broke that kind of a standard and expectation that she put upon herself. But perfectionism will will uh, drive children, it will provoke them and exasperate them. Being inconsistent in our discipline of our children, that exasperates it, it confuses them. When it's not done consistently or it's just done on a whim and on again, off again, they'll never be able to, to figure that out. Making promises to our children and then failing uh, to keep them will exasperate them. You remember being a child and somebody told you you were going to go for an ice cream or go for a drive here or go do this, something special, go to a movie uh, and uh, a double uh, show at the, you know, the theater, whatever it might be, and how much we would look forward to that. And, and uh, especially with a parent. And, and then when a parent, if a parent takes and disregards that promise to do this thing, sometimes you have to because things came up, come up, then you sit the child down, you explain, I can't do that, but we're going to get it right back on the books. Here's why I can't, uh, uh, why I have to make it a priority and all. Explain it so they see that. But not to bury the promises that we make to our children uh, in order to do uh, 20 things around the house that we could do any other day uh, of the week. You ever watch a child's face when uh, a promise is broken to them? Most children won't say anything because it's just too intimidating, the, the factor. But you read the language of the face and you realize uh, how dispiriting uh, it is for them. A failure to listen to them or for what they have to say, taking that seriously um, can really, really uh, be massively frustrating uh, for them. And, th- and then they will simply stop uh, talking 
because again, um, who needs the aggravation? Favoritism is a sure way to prov uh, provoke uh, children. Uh, they, we had, there was a fair amount of that among the patriarchs in the Old Testament. Remember, uh, uh, Joseph was given the coat. Uh, he was the favorite son of his father, and his, son, uh, his father didn't low-key it. Gave him a bright-colored coat uh, to wear around all of the other 11 brothers to let him uh, know that. Created uh, significant problems for that family. And then uh, Jacob and Esau, each of the parents chose one or the other to be a favorite. And uh, terrible, terrible problems in the family uh, as a result. Making our love and affection uh, for our children conditional upon their performance is always going to be uh, something that exasperates and frustrates them. Uh, in addition to remaining in a state of displeasure after the, what they've done wrong, remaining in that state of displeasure for too long. Uh, we all know as adults, we know as Christians, that the moment we mess up, and I mean really can mess up as Christians, and uh, God can really convict us, and He can chasten us. But we always have the confidence that we can turn to Him in an instant, and He will receive us, and the relationship can be immediately restored. And, and it's the same thing that God wants us to offer uh, to our uh, children. And uh, uh, one thing to notice about all of these provocations that uh, here that I mention, that each one of them is completely unlike God. And they are completely unlike His treatment of us as, as His children. And nowhere is it uh, truer, I think, uh, than the importance of not withholding our love or our affection for them uh, based upon performance. God never uh, does that uh, in, in our lives. And so here uh, are some of the safeguards that, that, uh, that the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit put upon the authority that he's given to us as parents in the raising of our children. And he gives us the reason, lest they become discouraged. And, and the word discouraged means to discourage. It means to leave without heart or spirit, to crush, to cause, to give up. That's what, that's what Paul and the Holy Spirit are worried about in our children uh, as we raise them. And as Christian parents, we can find ourselves very focused on a child's rebellion, teaching them right and wrong. All of that's good. We live in a culture that nurtures rebellion. They have a rebellious nature from uh, uh, Adam and Eve. And uh, we always want to nip that rebellion uh, at the bud in their lives. And, 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 but we're, so often we can be so busy about that aspect of raising a child that we're less attentive to uh, the power in a negative way of provoking and producing discouragement deep within our children's lives. And this thing that God knows, this discouragement, is this silent killer of something important and necessary in their lives. We do break their carnal Adam nature and flesh 
but we do not break who they have been created by God to be, the uniqueness of what they are as human beings, and how God wants to use those things now in their childhood and in their adult life for His glory. And so it is important to train and admonish our children in raising them, but no child is ever intended to leave our home and head out into adult life uh, discouraged. And discouraged means having their courage taken away uh, from them or to be dispirited and their spirit, their personhood broken and crushed. And in God's sight, though He gives greater authority to parents, again, both the parents and the children are loved by uh, God. And so here this important word for us as parents in raising uh, our children, and it, it, it was desperately needed when Paul wrote it 2,000 years ago uh, to Christians raising their children in that ancient Roman culture, and it's equally uh, desperately needed uh, today in our world. I think that so often people view Christianity's teaching in terms of child rearing as one-dimensional. It's all spare the rod and spoil the child, and that's all the Bible has to say about them. Just whack them as often as necessary. And, uh, and while it does teach corporal punishment without any apology at all, God's instruction here, as we see here, is far more nuanced, far deeper, far more multifaceted uh, than it's often given credit for, even by Christians. And so I hope uh, this short time in this verse this morning has been helpful instruction for those of you who have never heard these things before, and a helpful reminder to those of us who are uh, familiar uh, uh, with uh, with these things. There are a lot of good books that are written in this regard. If this has primed the pump of your interest, I know I'm at time. Give me one more minute, please, if you'll be gracious to me. When Karen and I first became Christian, we had one daughter born and another daughter on the way. And the one daughter was born as a very strong-willed child. It was a war in the house. And uh, we hadn't raised her in the Lord. We were doing the best we could with what we did. But then we became Christians. And the first few books that we purchased and bought were on the subject of uh, Christian parenting, how to raise a child. This was our great uh, urgent need. And that may be the case for you uh, as well. And I want you to know Pastor Mark would be a great person to go to, uh, our children's pastor, and say, hey, this is what I'd like to know more about related to raising my children, or this is what frustrates me to death, or whatever. Can you recommend something to me? Also on our webpage, when you go to the uh, resources part of the webpage, there's an, uh, an entire section of suggested reading, and there is a section on parenting that is a list of the best books we know uh, with regard to this very, very important subject. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we embrace the responsibility that you have given us to raise our children, your children, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And we are so thankful that you haven't left us to do it without your instruction and without a clear understanding of the wisdom 
and the beauty and the love that is behind uh, your ways. Thank you for this time this morning to study your word on this very, very important part of the Christian life. And I pray and we pray that you would make it a, a great encouragement within our hearts and to make us aware of what we need to be aware of where we've, we've dropped our guard, Lord, or we never knew we were supposed to do that, or to affirm where these things are in place. Lord, we are humbled by the responsibility of raising another eternal human being. And again, thank you for your wisdom in how to do that in these children that we love so much and care for so much. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.